0: thank you for the clay song guys i don't know whether that was on purpose or not but i appreciate that let's start with a word of prayer please father god we praise your holy name be here lord and uh be glorified in all that transpires here this evening we thank you for the opportunity to be here and that indeed it is a place where we can meet you in christ's holy name i pray amen As i prepared for this, it dawned on me, I haven't preached uh, in, since I retired. So, i uh, settled down uh, for about, what, as far as I can tell, about an hour and a half. Um, but I've tried to pare it down some, I promise I have. I don't title my sermons hardly ever, um, but this I will tell you that this sermon will be about Uh, at least at the end of it, I'll hope that you will know that it was about relationship. Uh, I want to tell you a story. I hope to have time to tell a couple of stories, but I want to start out with a story about a man named uh, Johnny Thompson. Uh, Johnny and I, and several other people, went to Jamaica several years back to do a uh, a work, witness Work and witness thing down there, and myself and a male nurse and a couple of people did a clinic, and other people did work and just whatever the church could find for them to do. Uh, and they got a little time in to recreate as well. And Johnny, before the the eight days, seven days was over, uh, was known as the pepper preacher. Because they have little plants down there, very, very small plants. The pastor had one of all places right beside of his steps. Now, they call them bird peppers, but and they were about—I meant to—they were about as big as the clicker on a pen. And inevitably, with that many tough guys down there, true men. One of them had to t- take up the challenge, tuck the pepper, and ran for the kitchen. Uh, that always happened, they said. Anytime a group came down, somebody, all oh, that peppers, I can take peppers. Now, how hot they were, I can tell you proudly that I don't know. Birds ate them like crazy, but, but they were hot to people. So, because they were small and Johnny was small, uh, he became known as the Pepper Preacher. And he was pretty fired-up fellow. I'm not going to act like that tonight. I may come out from behind the pulpit for a little while, but I'm not going to go quite as, quite as crazy as, as Johnny would do. Uh, Johnny had been a baker all of his life. So all that he ever did from the time he was uh, in his mid-teens until he retired. he He was a baker. I don't think, as I recall, that he owned his own bakery. But people would come in, and we're talking back even during Depression times, and he would give the kids a cookie. And if you came in, sometimes people would come in and, well, uh, Brother Thompson, how much is a loaf of bread? And he'd say, it's a dime. Now, we can't imagine that, but he would say, it's a dime. And they would say, oh, okay, and drop their heads and, well, maybe, you know, maybe we're not going to do that tonight. I, you know, I'm thinking we're going to do something different. And, and Johnny would give him a loaf of bread. He would wrap the bread up and send it home with him. And Johnny never did anything but work for wages in this bakery. But he would knock on people's doors. And he would say, oh, brother, sister, uh, I know kind of what's going on. I've heard some things, and here's, here's a little something for you. This is from Jesus. Don't tell anybody. This is not from me. This is from the Lord. And a lot of times it would be a $1,000. And a $1,000 nowadays, you say, well, they could pay rent with that. But in those days, they could pay deposit on an apartment or a house. They could pay rent. They could buy groceries. Maybe make a car payment and then have a little bit to put back uh... for another hard time and he did that sort of stuff all the time i was visiting with johnny one time in his home his son lived with him just the two of them in a small home and he had a a hallway about probably six feet wide and on the left hand side of it was some bookshelves and and a shelf to use as a desk and on the shelves were notebooks, two-inch. They started out the old-timey cardboard notebooks, which you can't even buy anymore, I don't think. And then finally some plastic ones. Every last one of those were completely full of his Bible study notes, going back into the 30s and 40s. He had a few reference books, but everything else was a couple of different translations of his Bible and his notes as he poured over. Not trying to analyze this, that, or the other. He let me read them. He would let anybody read them. He wouldn't let you take them with you, but he would let you read them. And it was just, oh, I was reading so-and-so, and and he would copy long passages of Scripture. And then he would say, oh, the Lord showed me this. The Lord told me this. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I've read this and read this and read this, and I never saw that in your Word before. Uh, Johnny was special. He's gone on long since uh, to be with the Lord, and, uh, but he was special. I want to try to share a couple of other stories with you. Mary and I worked with homeless people for a while. Mary did supplies for 11 clinics and, and I worked in several clinics. And and um, when I went up, I was going to work in two clinics. I wound up working in as many as seven. And one of the places, I, I, well, I'm, let me get—I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. One day, I'm in Central uh, Union Mission, which is the main place that I work. I uh, hear a ruckus. Now, Kathy, my medical assistant and and secretary, and God knows what else that she did that I never found out about had been attacked a couple of times. Not severely, but we had we only took care of homeless people. When they would come in, they would be stoned or inebriated or mentally unstable. And they wanted things she couldn't do for them. And they would get upset. So if I heard a ruckus, I would always peek out. And I peeked out one day and there's a, a tall, handsome, Man standing there all dressed up, I mean three piece suit, shiny shoes, the whole work. And he's like, Come here, come here, come here, Dr. Lewis. Now I wasn't a doctor, I was a physician assistant, but I finally gave up trying to explain the difference to somebody that wanted you to be a doctor. And so I got up and went out and I, I sort of recognized him, but he just he was in the area come to find out he was helping guys in the shelter and, and he wanted to drop in and, and see me for all I had done for him. Well, I had done very little. I didn't barely remember him. Raymond um, uh, Patterson the social worker was the one that helped him. He had mm-hmm. helped him get a job selling cars and he was selling cars in the biggest automobile uh, dealership in the D.C. metro area up in Maryland and and he was the lead seller. As I understand it, if a car salesman can sell a couple of cars a week, he's he's doing okay and he was selling cars per day and doing very well with it. The other story is a little more difficult. It's about a woman who out on a winter night uh, found an abandoned home. In those days in D.C. there were bunches of them. And so she went in to get out of the weather and a neighbor happened to see her going in and called the police. The police simply went to the door and opened the door and let their dogs in. And took her out uh, without getting any of her stuff and put her in a car and took her away. Well, they couldn't find, nobody, records didn't even show who owned the home. So a couple of days, there was no charges, they let her go, but she had some injuries that needed to be taken care of. And she came to the, she was homeless, so she came to Central Union Mission and we took care of her. And lo and behold, um, probably not more than several weeks later, she showed up again, racket out in the, in the, the the waiting room, opened the door, what's going on out here, is everything okay? And it's Dr. Lewis, and she ran over and grabbed me and hugged me, literally shut me, and she was not a big person, but she had a job and two other ladies that she was in the shelter with had jobs and they were getting a place to live together I honestly I honestly don't know if I can get through my third story but it's important so I'm going to try I was told I wouldn't have to work in a women's shelter, but the first week that I went there, I was sent to a women's shelter, the House of Ruth. You got off of the metro at Union Station, walked about a mile out into the southeast section of D.C. And one of the first patients I saw there was a young girl, 19 years old, as I recall. And she was just, oh, you know what? Being homeless is the best thing that ever happened to me. I was stuck at McDonald's, and I want a real job. And they're going to teach me to type here in the shelter. And just, I'm going to get a job in an office, and maybe I can even go to school. And it was just, I mean, it just felt good that she was just beautiful mahogany colored skin and was all done up and dressed up real nice the next time I saw her it was January and it was cold the wind was blowing it was about 20 degrees and she had In the house of Ruth, they were put out at 7 o'clock in the morning, and they could come back in at 7 o'clock at night. I only recall one exception to that ever, and it was a hurricane that was brushing the area, and they let them stay in. And I came into the clinic, and there was someone in the exam area, which was only just curtained off, and Tracy would bring the ladies in and get them all checked in before I got there. And I'm kind of like, what's going on back there, you know? And if you didn't hear me, I said, what's going on back there? But I really said it low in real life. And she said, you probably better just go back and, and see. And it was that little girl. And she lost a lot of weight, and she was gray, her hair was a mess. I mean, her skin tone was just gray instead of that beautiful mahogany brown. And and when I walked in, she just started bawling. And We just sat and petted each other for a while. I knew there was nothing I could say. And I said, what happened? And she said, well, it was cold, and I went out, and there was a store with a little, and you know how these little bodegas are, and she said, that's the only place I could get out of the wind. And a guy came along, he was shopping in the store, and we talked for a little while, and he's like, well, come to my place, it'll be warm, and you can stay, you can, Watch, you can, we'll eat. I've got bacon and eggs here. We'll eat, and then you can watch game shows, and then in the afternoon, you can watch uh, soap operas. But I'll have to, you have to leave when I leave because I don't, I'm not comfortable having someone hang out at my apartment if I'm not there and I don't know them well. and so she went with him and when she got there there were five men and that was at nine o'clock in the morning and they kept her there till around four o'clock she really didn't know and uh, by then she had told her story and she had calmed down and um, I treated her for. All sorts of stuff. And I never saw her again. She came back to see Tracy for aspirin and things. Now that's a horrible story. This is not a great place to be telling horrible stories, is it? But that's what goes on out in the world all the time. And what made the difference? What made the difference? Um, I think about that little girl a lot. And since the reason I had to preach about that tonight is I have not been able to get her off my mind for more than an hour or two ever since we've been living at Richmond Hill. So, Joel and Janie at Shaw's <laughs> The difference was relationship. She had come to D.C. because people would get it in their mind, well, if I go up there, that's where the power people are, that's where the money is, and that's where, just listen to the politicians. They want to help people. And I can tell you stories until midnight tomorrow night about people that did that. Mostly old people. But the young man and the first young lady had relationships. They got into relationships. And the young man even had family close by. And this young girl had come come there from several states away. And that's how I pray still that she is doing well. But relationship made the difference in their lives. Most homeless people, uh, substance abuse, they said up there then that if a person was homeless for six months they would either be an alcoholic or drug addict. And by then substance abuse gets in the way of relationships. I knew people that got over it, got clean, got jobs, were doing fine, and they would come in, tell me, Mr. Lewis, my family won't talk to me, would you call them? And I would call, and I would say, yes sir, what can I do for you? I'm calling about your son or your daughter. And 90% of the time they would hang up. Their they're, they're. The bridges were burned and torn down. But relationship is what makes a difference. Now, if we could tuck a poll here, what does relationship mean? I don't know how many people are here, 40 or so, 30 or so. We would have 30 answers, probably. Uh, and uh, uh, maybe more, maybe people would have more than one. And, and there, there's many definitions of relationship. But there's only one relationship that I'm deeply concerned with tonight, or concerned with at all tonight. Um, now, I have a relationship with my wife, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? But we have relationships with anybody that we encounter. Now, you can argue that, well, I checked out someplace and I'll never see that person again. I don't have a relationship with them. And I would probably agree with that. But if you start thinking about all the people you encounter over the course of a month or a quarter, you get to thinking about all those people that you encounter over and over and over again. You have relationships with all of those people. Not all relationships are, are good. But we use the same word. We have a relationship with bad people sometimes, and I guess I have something about not wanting to ever get to preach again. I keep telling bad stories, tough, tough stories. But I work for a guy that is his most evil part was. He's dead. Probably the only person I've ever known in my life that when I was told that he was dead, I said, Good. And I pray about that and ask God's forgiveness often because I still feel that way. There was a doctor that I worked for, and this is about the most horrible example I can think of. And there's no bad language or anything in it, I promise. But I went into a room with him one day. I mostly did hospital work for him and I was kind of letting him get clued into the new patients. We walked in and there's a little old lady, a little old black lady there. And she's like, oh, doctor, you're my favorite person. I'm so glad you came to see me. This boy's nice, but he's not you. And they talked and chatted and just, yes, we're buddies, aren't we? And she said, oh, that little thing I gave you, do you did you keep that little thing, that little statue that I gave you? Have you still got that? And, uh, and he said, oh, I've got that thing. What are you talking about? I value that thing. It's, on my, it's up on my mantelpiece. And this lady was just, uh, I thought we were going to have to treat her right there on the spot for, for heart failure. She was just out of herself. And you think, well, isn't that wonderful? He's preaching about relationship and he's talking about some sweet ones. We walked out the door. I don't know if I can say what I need to say because you need to hear what he said we walked out the door and he just rolled his eyes and says does that old nigger think that i would even keep a piece of junk like that what is wrong with people? and i knew that (laughs) my relationship with this doctor was pretty much after two or three months of working for him was pretty much over so relationships are not always what we want to make them to be and the way that we make sure that we're having good honest open decent relationships is through our relationship with Jesus I love my wife to pieces Uh, I adore her. We get picked on around here and every place we go. Cause we walk around holding hands all the time and grinning at each other like, "Golly, I'm, God, I like you." And people, you see now, Janie's laughing, but she's one of the ones that picks on somebody. But my relationship with her is better because of her relationship with Jesus and because of my relationship with Jesus my kids and our relationship are better because of our relationship with Jesus. I believe with all of my heart if that young girl in that storefront of that bodega had had friends and counselors, if she had had a relationship with people who cared about her and if she had had a relationship with Jesus she wouldn't have gone with that man. She may have wanted to but she wouldn't have gone with that man. I think if any of those other two people, and I could tell you stories, we didn't have many victories. I'll be honest with you, working with homeless people is the hardest thing I've ever even thought about doing. Because there's just not many victories. But if those other two kids, I call them kids, they were in their 30s, I think, but I'm old enough now that I can call them kids. If their relationship had not been what it was, Central Union Mission uh, was very gentle and kind, but they, they, they preached religion. And they heard the gospel and they responded to it. Or they knew the gospel and it was just dormant maybe. And it woke it up, their relationship there. If they had not had those relationships that they did, that would have been another, another tragedy. So relationship is the essence of everything that we need. I don't care how good your relationship with anyone is, it's not going to be as good if your relationship with Jesus is not active. Little Johnny Thompson and all of his books uh, now Johnny just about glowed he, he had so much love in his heart and I'm I'm, I'm I'm certainly not a scholar but I have read a lot of books Uh, We were amazed when we retired and moved. We lived on a boat for a little while and there was no room for books. I think we figured there were about 700 to get rid of. And that's not including all the other textbooks and stuff. But we won't find that relationship in books. We find that relationship in our prayer life with Jesus and in reading His Word. I'm not even not anti-book. I'm pro-book. But I'm more pro-Word of God. I am more about telling my problems to Jesus than reading about how to solve them from a book. Now, I've got lots more notes. Um... And I even got into this thing and had some scripture I wanted to share with you, but I'm more than, I think, out of time. They just told me I couldn't go 59 minutes. They didn't really put a time on it. Uh, I begged for 59, but they were hard. They wouldn't budge. One more little bit I want to share with you, though. I almost left it out. Barna. Everybody knows who Barna is. the guy that does, what do you call it? Surveys? He did a survey. His company did a survey on preachers and discovered that low church preachers, that is, Church of the Nazarene, Baptists, Quakers people like that, the pastors prayed about an average of a minute a day. Now, you high church, there's, there's, a, uh, there's an Episcopalian, I think I see one right there. You high church boys beat them out at a minute and 15 seconds a day. Now you think about, that's an average. And you've got people who come down here to all these wonderful programs of Richmond Hill and they preach lots and lots and lots and lots pray lots and lots and lots and lots, and then you average that in with the other guys, they're just not praying. That's what it boils down to. I didn't really believe that until we were at a uh, conference for small church pastors on our district, Church of the Nazarene. Uh, They were the bad guys, I'll tell you that. And a guy, we're in in a thing, just preachers, and a guy says... You know, uh, I work 40 to 60 hours a week. I'm doing my course of study. I preach in two churches over on the eastern shore. I've got three kids. I've got a wife who likes to see me every little bit. And I don't have time to pray at all, and it's killing me. And our district superintendent, some of you could translate that and say our bishop, looked at him and said, wow, okay. Who's next? Anybody else got anything? Rather than calling us to surround that man and pray with him. My, I think when you preach, you're supposed to charge the people with something at the end of it. My charge to you is spend more time with Jesus. Don't talk about it. Everybody I know will tell you, oh yeah, I pray, man, I'm praying for you. And then they pretty much walk off and forget about it. Don't talk about it, just, that's a a famous slogan in it, just do it. And it's about something worthwhile. Um, I would like to end with a word of prayer since we started with a word of prayer. Father God, I praise your holy name. Lord, we need you. And you've shown us the way in Jesus. Help us to listen. In Christ's holy name I pray, Amen. amen.